0: Are incredibly excited. I, like I said a minute ago, uh, my name is Jaron. I get to be part of the team um, leading our creative team, and this is not another, none other than Gonzo, my friend here. It, he is on our eldership team, and uh, but you know what? Based on the way we're dressed, you'd think it'd be the opposite today. But uh, but nonetheless, we're so excited to bring you part five of Captured by Grace. This, uh, like you heard just a moment ago, this series is entirely based off of a book that our lead pastor, Ben Daly, just released a few weeks ago. And if you haven't picked it up, we really encourage you to do so. But this, it's so rich in, in grace and so rich in goodness, we thought, hey, we just have to craft an entire series a message series around this. So we've been in this for four weeks. This is the fifth week. In uh, and, and week one, we talked about law versus grace. Uh, week two, we talked about uh, the subject of distant versus close. Week three, we talked about dirty versus righteous. And week four, we discussed, we discussed the topic of victim uh, versus being a victor. Like Pastor David said. Um, this message is not one that is always easy to communicate because uh, telling people that they, uh, that they aren't distant, that they're not dirty, that they're not victims um, can sometimes bring scrutiny. But nonetheless, as the Apostle Paul says, I'm committed to this message. And so today we're going to jump into a subject that, hey, I'm going to say it flat out. This is bold. This is blunt. But I'm going to say it. This could very well be the most important thing that you take away from this series and i mean that and, it, and it's the subject of before versus after everyone say that with me before versus after before versus after well gonzo what exactly uh do i mean by before versus after well gonzo i'm glad you asked because um i'm gonna tell you and we're gonna walk through it with you uh, today, what we're about to share with you, I'm telling you, has the power to change the way you read the Bible. Has the that has the has the power to transform the way you read God's Word. And the best thing, honestly, is the fact that it has the power to transform your relationship with God. Because how many know that the way you interpret God's words is the way you interpret God's character? I'll say that again. The way you interpret God's words is the way you interpret His character. So that's why we want to spend some time talking about how to read His words and and a subject that is so very close to our hearts. So we're excited. But before we get into this, do me a favor. Will you just take a moment, put your hand on your heart. I want you to declare this over yourself. This is just simply putting our minds and our hearts at ease and in the place to receive His goodness say eyes to see ears to hear a heart to receive a mouth to confess all of the good things Christ is already provided say it again y'all say Christ is already provided for me and turn to someone next to you say hey you can receive it too come on this is good news so I will say this y'all to start off I'll say this I'm personally convinced that uh, I lived, as Pastor David has mentioned uh, mentioned previously in this series, I lived in uh, a metaphorical jungle for a lot of my life, and that is the jungle of religion. And I lived in a jungle fighting uh, a war that I thought I had to fight, but I found out very quickly That it was a war that only existed in my mind. And it was a war against an enemy that I've both feared and distrusted. But it was only in my mind. It was only in my mind. And and, and, and that I failed. And and the reason I stayed in that for so long is because I failed to understand a principal concept of Scripture, what we're going to talk about today, and that is the covenants. Everyone say that, the covenants you got to understand, just to lay some historical uh, framework and foundation for today, throughout the Scripture, uh, we find God making various covenants with His people. If you read Scripture, you'll see that He makes a covenant with Noah in the Old Testament to never destroy the earth again with a flood. He makes a, a covenant with Abraham to bless the world through His lineage. He makes a covenant with the nation of Israel Uh, when Moses receives the law on stone tablets on Mount Sinai. And he makes a covenant with King David, that the future of the Messiah would rule and reign through King David's throne. And anyone who pays attention to Scripture knows that Yahweh, which is what we call God, Yahweh, the God of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is a God of of covenant relationship with his people. And understand, a covenant is more than simply a promise. A covenant has a higher meaning. This is why when you go to and you attend a wedding, you hear about the covenant of marriage, not just the promise of a relationship. The reason for that is a covenant has deeper meaning. Covenant can't be broken. And that's why God, yes, he makes promises to us, but he also made covenants with us. And so what happened was we have two particular covenants that, that God made uh, that we're going to talk about today. One is called the old and one is called the new. It's pretty simple, not too difficult to understand. The old and the new. And the Old Testament was, if you aren't familiar with scripture, Old Testament was based on laws, rules, and traditions. And it was a list of rules, including what you're probably familiar with, the Ten Commandments, uh, that the people of Israel, Jewish people, had to keep in order to maintain right standing with God. Now, Ten Commandments sounds pretty nice, but when you realize that there were not just Ten Commandments, there were over 600 laws and regulations that you had to follow, it starts to seem a little bit more unattainable, and the reason for that is it was never meant to be. the, the, The law was never intended for us to be able to keep it. So that was the old covenant before Jesus came on the scene. Well, Jesus then comes on the scene and introduces a new covenant based on his performance. We're going to get into that in just a few minutes. So I understood this for many years, this whole idea of God making covenant, him living in covenant relationship with his people. But what I did not understand and what many people do not understand is something that the Apostle Paul told his young disciple Timothy when he wrote this. And this is our theme verse. If you want to write it down, you can jot it on your uh, Calvary app, and it's 2 Timothy 2.15. Paul says this. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Here's the key. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Everyone say rightly divide. That is the two key words of this entire message, rightly divided. Say it one more time. I want you to get in your spirit. Awesome. And the Apostle Paul, more than uh, almost any of the original apostles, proclaimed the gospel of God's grace, hear me, to both the Jewish people and the Gentiles. Now, again, this is teaching, but hear me, the old covenant that I talked about, was only to and only toward and only made with the Jewish people, the people of Israel. But a foundational piece of Paul's life and ministry was introducing the fact that this new covenant that Jesus made was not only for Jewish people, it was made to all people. That was a foundational piece of Paul's life and ministry. And the reason that Paul was so adamant about rightly dividing the word of truth is because he understood a very key component that at the death of Jesus Christ, a new and better covenant had been inaugurated.
1: Yeah, no, that's true. And I love the way you stressed and you emphasized rightly dividing and you talked about truth. Mm. When you divide something, there's a separation. Yeah. It's where you can say, this is where something stops and something new begins. Mm. And that's what Paul was talking about, how the old had stopped. It doesn't attain to us anymore. And a new beginning, a new covenant has started. And then you said the word truth, the word truth. How many of y'all know that things don't become true until you experience it? That's when it becomes truth. See, back in the old covenant, you would have priests or other religious leaders experience a relationship with God for you we couldn't approach God yeah but now things have changed under a new covenant we can experience that truth daily for ourselves so because of our relationship with him so good so and the reason why Paul was so adamant about rightly dividing the word of truth is because he understood that at the death of Jesus Christ a new and better covenant had been inaugurated yeah so what divided before after Old and new, it's the cross. Mm. And it's not just a division, it's a clear cut, it's a clear cut division, it's a clear cut pathway to the truth. Mm. So the the new covenant is the fulfillment of the old arrangement God had made with the prophets and of course the big one, the big arrangement he made with Moses, which was you brought up the, the Ten Commandments. So let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. He, talking about God, has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, mm. not of the letter, Come on. but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So good. Now think with me for a moment. Paul contrasts a former covenant that he describes as being of the letter. With the new covenant that he describes of being of the spirit. And I love that he throws the word competent in there. If you read that competent means you're qualified. So what he's saying is the letter of man, the old, it doesn't qualify you. Mm. It doesn't make you competent. But the new, the new spirit, the spirit of God, that's what qualifies you. That's what makes you competent. So good. And you can give God some praise for that. And so while Jesus made a new covenant with all people, some of the first century Christians and even some of the early apostles and some of the early disciples, what they would try to do is they would try to mix and match and mix a little bit of the old with a little bit of the new. They were double dipping. Okay. they take a little bit of this
0: double dipping. Yeah.
1: And they take a little bit of the new and they would mix it. But Paul was adamant. That's like, hey, they don't mix. Yeah, that's not going to work. Right. We need to rightly divide what was true between the way things would be before the cross mm. and the way things were, were after the cross.
0: That, that's so key, Gonzo, and I love that you brought that up because you got to understand, in Paul's day, the people who were making up the early church were largely Jews, yeah. Jews who had lived under the law, right. Jews who had spent their time uh, with their relationship with God solely factored on their performance. Yeah. And so what was happening in these early churches and the letters that you read in the New Testament was these Jews were like you said flip-flopping back because they felt like okay they embraced the way of Jesus they embraced the life of Jesus but they still felt like they had to go back to rules and regulations and traditions right. and and unfortunately that wasn't just thi- that, that that wasn't just 2000 years ago yeah. it still happens today yeah. Yeah. and what happens is that millions if not billions of professing Christians they don't understand How to rightly divide, again, say that with me, rightly divide between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So they read Scripture, this is billions of Christians across the world, read Scripture and don't know how to identify what's Old Covenant and what's New Covenant. Now you may be saying, okay, so am I just not supposed to read the Old Testament? No, that's not what I'm saying. Because Scripture says that all of Scripture is used for our benefit. But you got to hear me this morning. When I read the Old Testament, I read it in its proper context. Because I understand, and this is what's so key, how to rightly divide between the letter of the law, like Paul says, and the life-giving yeah. spirit. And so what happens is so many people are doing this and they're trying to live this new covenant life while at the same time being burdened by what Scripture calls an old covenant yoke of bondage. They're living under a yoke of, of, of bondage and, and rules and regulations and rituals, including the 10 commandments, by the way, that were, by the way, all fulfilled in Jesus and no, not, and no longer applying. We're gonna talk more about that in just, just a moment. And you gotta hear me this morning. Only when we rightly divide this word of truth will we begin to see that yoke come off of our shoulders. This is important this morning, y'all. If you're feeling a heavy yoke, can I encourage you that only when you rightly divide this word of truth will you begin to see that heavy yoke come off your shoulders and at the same time, as well as the bondage of sin and guilt and shame and condemnation. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love that you say that.
1: Dividing and not mixing. Mm. Um, I think it was back in, 2010 Do y'all remember that uh, real big oil spill they had in the Gulf of Mexico I think it was yeah. well, um the Deepwater Horizon yeah there's that movie out too it's pretty good too I think Mark Wahlberg's in it Come on. it's good he's one of my favorite actors but uh, but anyway um, if you look at that movie um, or even in the news or look up old articles you can see the oil mm-hmm. just sitting on the water during the cleanup and that's because Oil and water, they can't mix. Yeah. Mm. It's impossible. The molecules of water, they actually push away or they repel the molecules of oil. Yeah. Mm. And that's how it is with the old covenant and the new covenant. The molecules of the new covenant, they actually so repel. Yeah. They actually push away the so old old you. The old you. So
0: the old you. Absolutely. I, I, that's so key to understand because you have, like, the, the two don't mix, just don't like, that's a word, Gonzo, just like oil and water, yeah. the new covenant and the old covenant don't mix, and we're going to get more into that in just a moment. I'm trying to get too preachy before we get into our content today, but hey, so, so what we want to do, with that understood, with that framework and that historical context understood, we want to uh, share with you four key takeaways that, honestly, I'm going to be real with you, it I mess with your mind a little bit. Yeah. It might mess you up for a while, but I promise as you embrace these truths, it's going to uh, uh, minister to your heart and empower you to live this new covenant life of love like you have never lived it before. Does that sound like a good thing to anybody in this room? I need some help this morning, y'all. I'm feeling, I'm feeling right preachy. I'm feeling churchy this morning. So four key takeaways. Number one, Gonzo, tell us what it is.
1: Okay. This one was a big one. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah, when Jaron sent me the notes, I was like, man, I think there's a typo. There's something wrong with this. But when I read it, it it made sense to me. So um, what some of Jesus' words were said, they don't apply to us. They don't apply to us. That's
0: number one. That's number one. Some of Jesus' words do not not apply apply for us. (laughs) So
1: when I, when, I, uh, when I say that some of Christ's words don't apply to us, I'm not suggesting that anything Christ said was wrong or unimportant. On the contrary, I'm saying that his words are so important and that we need to pay such careful attention to his words that we don't redefine them yeah. to apply things that no longer pertain to us. That's so good. And I'm actually, be honest, I'm thankful that some of the things he said— Don't apply to me. (laughs) Very true. You know, you can be thankful for some of those things. Very true. So, now remember that the cross changed everything. Yeah. And when you read the red letters in the gospel stories of Jesus' life, the vast majority of them were spoken before the cross. Wow. They were spoken to Jews who were living under the old covenant. The new doesn't begin until after Jesus Goes to the cross. Mm. See, this is where we get off track. Many people assume that the New Testament begins in Matthew chapter 1. Right. But the reality is that the New Testament does not begin with the birth of Jesus, but it begins with the death of Jesus. And when we understand that the cross is the dividing line between the covenants of old and new of letter and and spirit of law and grace, then and only then can we put Jesus's words spoken before the cross in the proper context. So true. So that's the first thing that before versus after means. It means that while Jesus's words were spoken for us, they were not spoken to us. Mm. That's the big difference. Jesus's words are for us to understand our need for his grace in more depth, but some of his words are not to us in a way that requires us to put ourselves back under rules and regulations.
0: So true, and that's so important, and I know there's probably a lot of people sitting in this room, Gonzo, that are about ready to light a fire, uh, because this sounds a little sacrilege. I gotta be honest. It sounds a little crazy. It sounds a little weird, but when we say, and again, I want to reiterate a point you you made. We're not saying that the words of Jesus are unimportant. We're saying that not all of them are to us. I'll give you an example. Matthew chapter 5, one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture, is the Sermon on the Mount. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, you've got to understand, this is part of rightly dividing. Because if you look at it within its proper context, uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, is before Jesus went to the cross. And if you look further, you see that he's talking to a Jewish audience. What I'm saying is, before Jesus died, he actually preached the law. Jesus was the greatest law teacher that ever existed. Now hang with me, because you look at Matthew chapter 5, one of the things that Jesus says that if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Like you said, I'm very glad that I don't fully live under everything Jesus said, because I like my hands. I like my hands. And so Jesus says, if you sin, go ahead and cut your hand off and what people will think often think is hey well Jesus just wasn't being serious or he was over exaggerating for 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 special effect but no Jesus meant what he said and he said what he meant Jesus didn't joke around what Jesus was doing and what Jesus often did before he died on the cross and inaugurated this new covenant was he preached the law to the Jews to 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 illustrate to them how badly they needed what he was getting ready to give them. You're hearing me this morning. Because what happened was a lot of these Jews, and quite frankly, a lot of the Jewish teachers of the law, tried to water down the law to try and make it attainable. But when that happens, the law loses its effect because the law was never meant to be attainable. So Jesus comes on the scene from Matthew to, to, to from Matthew chapter one to the time he dies in Scripture, and he basically what he's doing is he's re-elevating the bar that the Pharisees had tried to lower. So when you read scriptures like, hey, if your sin or if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. No, Jesus is not telling you to do that, nor is he exaggerating. That was the importance, that was the standard of the law that they were supposed to be living under. So Jesus comes on the scene and re-elevates it to point them to how badly they needed his grace. So key to understand. So hear me this morning, we're not saying don't read the words of Jesus, and we're not saying don't see Jesus as someone you shouldn't follow. No, what we're saying is read his words in context. Okay, I went down a rabbit trail. Secondly, number two, you ready for this Before versus after means this. The law of Moses is now obsolete. If you're writing notes, go ahead and write that down. Write it in your Calvary app. I see some faces looking at me like I'm crazy, but I'm going to explain this to you. The law of Moses is now obsolete. And can I tell you, that includes, you ready for this? Don't get the pitchforks out. That includes the Ten Commandments. That includes the Ten Commandments. Hear me. The law of Moses is now obsolete. And it's not obsolete because God changed his mind and decided he didn't like his original rules. It's not like God decided to soften his demands, Gonzo. It's not like he just decided that he didn't want to put that on us any longer. It's obsolete because it's been, hear me, replaced by something new and something better. Now, we got a lot of generations in this room, I see some students who are Gen Z. I see some uh, saints who are in a different generation. We got all sorts of. We're a diverse church, and so I want to give this example. You don't have to do it, but if I asked you uh, to raise your hand if you remember eight track tapes, some hands would go up. Not a whole lot. With some, I'm barely on that. Like I'm, I'm barely there. I barely remember eight track tapes. That's how young I am. Okay, but then if I asked you to raise your hand if you remember uh, cassette tapes a few more hands would go up. That's more of my time. Furthermore, if I asked you to raise your hand, if you remember, uh, <laughs> I see some kids being like, eh, cassettes, what is that? Uh, if I asked you to, to, to raise your hand, if you remember CDs, mm-hmm. a lot more hands would go up because there's still some existing today. And hear me, when, when, when I say that these technologies are obsolete, I'm not being disrespectful to those technologies. I'm admitting that they they served a worthy purpose in their time. And I'm acknowledging that they had an important role to play, but they are now obsolete because there's no, there, there's new technology. There's no long, they're no longer relevant because they've been replaced by something new and something better. Are you hearing where I'm going this morning? Some people like to 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 uh, they like to be taken aback when I say that. God's law covenant, the law of Moses, is uh, obsolete. They're a little taken back, like I'm being disrespectful. But it, and, it, and it might sound disrespectful, sure. But hear me this morning, it's not. In fact, it's not even my word, Gonzo. It's the Scripture's word. We find this in, in Hebrews 8. You can turn there with me. Hebrews is all about the fact that Jesus is greater than Moses. And Jesus' new covenant is greater than Moses' old covenant. So, read this with me in Hebrews chapter 8. He says this. Y'all got to receive this this morning. By calling this covenant new, he, being Jesus, has made the first one obsolete. Everyone say that obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Do y'all see it this morning? Obsolete is not my word, Gonzo. It's it's a word that God chose to describe what happened when the new replaced the old. That's the thing many people don't understand. The new is not just a revision of the old. The new is not a a, a 2.0 or an update like you get on your phone. No, the new is a complete and total replacement of the old. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? The old covenant has been fully replaced and fully reinvented so you and I no longer live under that. It's obsolete. That's good news this morning. I got a quiet 11 a.m., but I'm gonna preach to myself if I ain't preaching to anybody else. Hear me this morning. And it doesn't, it this this concept doesn't just extend to the two covenants. Because just like the it is it's a, it's an overarching concept throughout scripture the new made the old obsolete so hear me this morning can i mess with you just like the new covenant made the old covenant obsolete hear me your new spirit made your old spirit obsolete your new heart that jesus gave you when you with the moment you believed made your old heart obsolete your old identity has been made obsolete by the identity Jesus has given you. Your future has been uh, has made your past now obsolete, and that's all because of Jesus. That's, right. yeah. that's how good this news absolutely is. It's, it's been made obsolete, and the reason that that God can replace the new with or uh, yeah replace the old with the new is because of point number three. Go ahead, Gun.
1: Yeah, number three, um, and that this is, this is really big, so, so listen and uh, just really receive this, really receive this. So number three, the law covenant has been fulfilled. Mm. It's finished. It's done. It's been fulfilled. Again, the new covenant isn't an agreement that God ditched because he no longer agreed with his law. His law is perfect and holy and eternal. It's a reflection of his very character. But that same chapter in Hebrews tells us exactly why God replaced the old with the new. It wasn't that there was anything wrong with the law, but rather there was something wrong with the people. Now let's go back to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant... No place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people.
0: Come on, y'all. That's good news. <laughs> he found fault with the people.
1: As I said earlier, the law was a perfect diagnostic tool, but it could never empower a person to actually accomplish that which it demanded. And therefore, we make a big deal of the fact That Jesus came to die in our place, which we should, but often we don't make a big enough deal of the fact that before he died in our place, that he lived in our place. In other words, he lived a life of perfection when it came to keeping God's holy standards. He was not only God in human flesh, but he was a perfect human being living up to every command God gave so, so that he could prove himself to be the only worthy sacrifice for all the times we've blown it. And this, my friends, is why we must understand before yeah. and after. Yeah. When Jesus stretched his arms out upon the cross and cried out, it's finished. He actually meant it. The cross actually worked. And when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you not only get a new future, but check this out you get a new pass. Come on.
0: That's good. That's good.
1: You're instantly given a spirit of pure grace. So good. The perfect track record of Jesus himself in place of your former track record. And his perfect track record is now your perfect track record, which means that God's able to let go of all judgment that your sins and embrace yourself with a second thought. And I like what you said, that God... Jesus didn't come to just get rid of the law. Right. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he says, I didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets, but I came to fulfill it. Yeah. So good. Now, remember, we talked about Jesus living as us. When Jesus came to fulfill the law, guess what? He did it as us. Mm. We fulfilled the law with Jesus. So now with that fulfillment of the cross, we get the fullness of the cross, so, so now good. we can just live and rest so and receive good. in that fullness.
0: And if you're thankful for that, so give God some praise. Come on, that's so good. Are y'all getting this this morning? Say yes. yes. This is meat. This is teaching. This is good. This is this is so good. And finally, with all of this religious pressure to perform off of my shoulders, because I'll say this, Gonzo, I feel good. I feel, I feel good right now. I feel like light. I feel free. Who knew that a Christian life could feel light and free? But That's the life that Jesus gives to us. So with this pressure to perform off of my shoulders, off of your shoulders, off of our shoulders, I'm going to ask you to jot down one more thing. You ready? The reality of before versus after means this. Number four. We live by the love of the Spirit, not the letter of the law. We live by the love of the Spirit, not the letter of the law. You see, people who are afraid of grace, Gonzo, and they exist. We call them nose-punching preachers. People who are afraid of grace always fail to understand this reality. Hear me. Living under grace is not what leads to more sin in your life. You need to write that down. You need to remember that because it's, you need to have it in your back pocket because likely the thought is going to come up in your mind in your grace walk that, hey, maybe this is just leading to more sin. But it's not. that's not true. Living under grace is not what leads to more sin in your life. In fact, the Apostle Paul actually said it was just the opposite. 1 Corinthians 15 uh, says that, The power of sin is the law. In other words, the law is what gives sin its power. In Romans 7, Paul Paul writes about how when he was under the law, every sinful passion within him would rise to the surface. In in, in Romans 2, Romans 2, 4 says that it's the kindness of God, hear me, not the law of God, that brings a person to a life of repentance. Yeah, that's so good because... They talk about
1: how the law, I mean, how grace, you talked about how grace promotes sin. Yeah. And and it's not true, like you said, because looking back at my life, the reason why I did what I did and acted up sometimes is because I just wanted to be accepted. Mm. Grace teaches acceptance. So if you look back and you really look at it, the reason why we do the things we do or did the things we did is because we didn't
0: believe we were accepted. A- absolutely. That's so key. And, and, and so what happens is here we are, yeah. 2,000 years later, after the fact, still wasting our time, Gonzo, debating whether or not Christians are still under the law. When God settled this fact centuries ago at a place called Calvary, not in Fort Worth, but on a hill of Golgotha. And, and it's all because of this blindness toward rightly dividing the truth between before and after that we get caught living, like you said, double dipping. It's, be, we, we, we double dip and we go back and forth between law and grace. We, we think grace is great to have in our back pocket for when we mess up, but all the other times we gotta live to a standard. That's called double dipping, y'all. We think grace is just good enough to be there for our failures, but the law is there to keep us on track. No, that's not the case, because the law cannot sustain you. The old covenant cannot sustain you. That was the entire purpose of Jesus. If the old covenant was still the system that you and I were supposed to at least partly live under, then Jesus died for nothing. And so we we have this blindness toward uh, rightly dividing the truth between before and after and I got to say church it's time to wake up and understand what you said earlier Gonzo and that's the fact that the cross is the dividing line between before and after the cross the cross is the dividing line between the old covenant and the new covenant I'll say this this way because this will bring you some freedom this morning the cross is the dividing line between your performance and Jesus performance it's the cross. It's the cross where Jesus not only died for me, he died as me. And our, and our failure to understand this and, and live according to this is probably one of the biggest deceptions of this modern era today. And because we have way too many, way too many new covenant people. trying. Because here's the thing, everyone, everyone on this earth today, if you were a believer in Christ, is living under the new covenant whether you believe it or not. You're, so we're all living under the new covenant, but we all don't live that way. So so many new covenant Christians are trying to mix the old and the new. Hear me this morning. I'll go back to the example I just gave a few minutes ago. Gaza, you don't try and, mit, or, and, and cram a CD into an iPhone, do you? No, you don't. That'd be silly. Why not? Because you cannot fit something old into something new new you cannot fit something old into something new if you're familiar with scripture this is what Jesus was talking about when he when he talked about fit trying to fit new wine and old wineskins he was giving a perfect illustration of why we cannot fit this new covenant into an old covenant context and by the same token You will experience, I'm telling you, you will experience a freedom you have never felt before when you stop trying to cram God's law into God's grace. Why? Because the law has been fulfilled. They're mutually exclusive, Gonzo. They're mutually exclusive. The old leads to the new. The new replaces the old. And once the law has done its powerful work in your life, and because whether you believe it or not, the the, the law has done its work in your life. If you're sitting in this room, the law has done its work in your life. The purpose of the law was to drive you to Jesus. So the law has done its work in your life. And once that happens, y'all, we can say goodbye to its influence in our lives. And again, I'll say this, this is important. This includes the Ten Commandments. Because you may say, hey, cool, I don't have to, you know, I can eat pork on a Sunday, and I can, um, you know, and I don't have to take an entire day off, which you probably should, but it's not a requirement of me anymore. Cool, that sounds great, but at least we should keep the Ten Commandments. Because if if I'm a new Christian, like, and I, I need to have a framework that I need to live by, right? I need to have a set of rules that... Otherwise, what are, if I don't have rules? What do I have? Well, I'll tell you: you have Jesus.
1: <laughs>
0: Jesus is your empowerment, not the law. The law could never empower us, and now we live under—and and now we live under a new covenant where the law doesn't empower us, but it's Jesus that empowers us. I'm going to step
1: out a little bit. I really feel like. Uh... There's someone here today that's okay with after, but you're still struggling with before. Have y'all ever seen those uh, like commercials? Usually they're trying to sell you something, uh, whether it's weight loss or Botox or, or anti-aging cream. And they always have pictures before Mm -hmm. and after. And it's always the before picture that we don't like to see. We immediately turn our attention towards the after. But here's the problem with that, and I really feel somebody needs to hear this. The problem with that Is in that picture, there's still traces of before. Mm. When we're talking about before and after, there's no traces of before. Come on. If you knew my story, it'd blow your mind because there's no traces of before. you've been set free. Rest in your afterness. Rest in your afterness. You have a new past. You've been made clean. There is no more before. There's only after.
0: right where you're at, if, if, if you will, will you close your eyes? Will you raise your hands if you're comfortable? Because this is there, there, there's, a, there's an anointing on what you just said, Gonzo. There's no trace of before. And as long as you're focused on before, you'll never experience the after. And So I want to declare some things over you this morning. Wherever you're at in life, wherever situation you're facing, wherever, whatever your experience is, this is for you. So right where you're at, raise your hands. I declare over you this morning that you don't live under an old covenant of rules and regulations, but you live under a new covenant of life, of love, of fullness, of acceptance, of empowerment. And hear me this morning. Here's what I'm declaring over you this morning. Because of God's covenant of his grace, the new, the new and better covenant. Hear me this morning. You are an overcomer in every situation. I declare over you that you are not a slave to sin, but you are free in Jesus I declare that depression has no hold on you that things are working out for your favor and for your good I declare that you don't have to work for God's acceptance but you receive it as a free gift I declare that you are a son and a daughter in the house of God not a servant in his field I declare that you are uh, divinely qualified for positions for places and for seats that are beyond what you could ever dream because of this new covenant. I declare that life does not have a hold over you, but you are a winner in every single circumstance. You need to receive this this morning. Things don't happen to you, things happen for you. I declare that you are called. I declare that you are equipped and you are empowered to live this life of Christ. And finally, I declare that you are free from the bondage of that old covenant. And Jesus now lives his life through you. If you receive that this morning, will you put your hands together? Will you give Jesus a praise that you haven't given him in months? Because this is something that will
1: change your life.